Why does this thing exist? Podcast. Why does this thing exist? Podcast. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Enthusiastic. I liked it. Good stuff. Guest week, Dean. Here's guest week. Joining us this week, Dean, is Drew Davis. Hello. Hello, Drew. That's all the enthusiasm you're getting out of me. Right? <laughs> it's fine. I mean, it's, it's more than we expect, more often than not. <laughs> you've turned up, you're already like raising the bar a bit for most people we ask. So uh. Turning up is my 70%. You get the, you get the 30 <laughs> Is the other 30 soiling yourself and leaving quickly? Because <laughs> that's what mine is. Ours. That's, no, that's, that's 20. You get 10% of chat out of me. So. <laughs> yeah. Save the soiling for best, isn't it? That's, that's what it is. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, man. Yeah, so um, so I know Drew, uh, friends of uh, friends go back a while, while now, but um, Drew also is the co-host of the uh, We Make Things Fight podcast, which I heartily recommend with Matt Roy. One episode where you discussed, uh, you, you pitched the, the 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 night switches, the Russian airborne women's infantry against the oh, what was the name? Uh, it was the PLF. Yes, I believe. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and, where uh, I gave uh, the quickest condensed history of the problems in the Middle East that I possibly could. Yeah, and I genuinely think it should be on the curriculum, because I I feel like it was, oh, no one's ever thought to explain that to me before my life. <laughs> I just go up thinking, Middle East, fuck, didn't it? And that's, yeah, that's, that's basically of, what we get told. A bit complicated. Uh, like, uh, I'll give you the two-second version. It was the British and French's fault, <laughs> yeah. as, as most things are. I find <laughs> yeah. it's just easier to start yeah. there as like your, your means of inquiry <laughs> yeah. in terms of, like, was it the British's fault? And then just like there's yeah. the, the the fulcrum of history, if you like. Yeah. Next box down on that graph. Was it the French's fault? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then if you can eliminate those two uh, on the flowchart, it goes to was it America's fault now? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's only because they're younger. They're, they're building up, you know. The, yeah, the, yeah. They're catching up <laughs> as best they can. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Really, really, you know, just outdoing themselves. Fair play to them. <laughs> yeah. They're young. Plucky young teenagers of international <laughs> bollockery, but there we go. <laughs> Lovely phrase. I might use that. <laughs> might use that going forward. That was my yeah. 10%, by the way. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be able to smell it over Zoom, but here we are nonetheless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah, so um, go on then, Dean. What are you going to show us this week, Dean? Well, I'm going to show you something, Simon, and uh, it'll be a bit familiar to you. And I'll do a bit of a you know, peel back the fourth wall. That's not a phrase, but you know what I mean. Uh, look, look behind the curtain, all that sort of stuff uh, for the listener. Now, this is something I, I showed Simon a few episodes ago, but uh, due to technical uh, clusterfuckery, uh, the episode was lost. So I'm showing it again. But there's more to it than that. Mm. So uh, the backstory I gave before, which I'll give again, is that my son recently acquired a PS5. I mean, he, he bought it. He didn't sort of just like, find it in the street. <laughs> <laughs> what have we here? <laughs> yeah. What are the odds of this kinder egg? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he saved up and bought it like like, like a good boy. Um, the game he wanted more than anything was the latest WWE wrestling game. If you're watching loads of YouTube videos about that, he's getting into his WWE, which was a weird thing for me because obviously when we were younger, it was like the, the big thing then in the 90s and got into it. Uh, but then, of course, fell out of it because you do with such things. But he said, Dad, play me. Play me on this games. All right, fine. I know some of the modern wrestlers. He said, who do you want to be? So we're going through the list of available characters. And all the classic ones were there. And I was like, oh, my God, it's these guys. I remember these. And I ended up being a big boss man. And I, yeah. I fought him. And uh, I did a lot better than he was expecting for my first ever time. Because I think he doesn't realize that I also played video games when I was his age. But also... We had three buttons, and uh, we make do just mashing things. And he's like, "No, you got to do with the levers and the shoulder buttons." No, no, none of that. Three buttons, mash. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never served me wrong, son. <laughs> so, and what's this multi-directional stick type deal here? I, I, <laughs> there are only four directions. <laughs> all all the directions I can possibly count. <laughs> yeah. Up, down, left, right, A, B, C, and start. That's how you yeah. win the game. Everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, he was playing all the modern characters, I was playing the classic ones. So I showed Simon, and I'll show you again, um, some of the characters which uh, I recognise and some of them my son's a fan of. So if you come to the screen. So uh, tell me if you recognise these characters, either of you. I'm, I'm guessing Drew might. <laughs> let's, let's go with that. Dean shows Simon and Drew a photograph of Ted DiBiase. 
Noel Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit of a modern day Noel Edmonds. He's got a bit of a, a bulked out modern Edmonds vibe. I'll give him that. That is, uh, of course, that's uh, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man uh, from uh, the past. <laughs> um, if I'm very much mistaken, I mean, it, it is actually Noel Edmonds, but isn't that res- the result of all the cosmic ordering that he does these days and <laughs> oh, just writing things on pieces yeah. of paper and kind of releasing them to the universe? Yeah. Yeah. He just wants money and he just, he's, yeah, yeah. Edmonds, Edmonds has a good look these days. The the white hair and dark beards thing, you know, he actually has gone for this. So maybe he is, yeah. maybe all he's ever wanted is to be the million dollar man from the 90s <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> Maybe Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, is uh, time displaced and uh, mentally fucked Noel Edmonds. <laughs> wait, wait, more mentally fucked Noel Edmonds? Yeah, yeah. He's trying to fight his way back to the present day. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the stupidest narrative I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, so another one. Um, uh, you, you should you should really copyright that because if Christopher Nolan listens to this, <laughs> then... Oh, he, he regularly does. So yeah, that could, that could happen. Uh, Paul Verhoeven yeah. is a listener of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Paul Verhoeven. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. uh, so these guys would be... Next, Dean shows Simon and drew a photograph of the Legion of Doom. That is the Legion of Doom. That's right. Um, Hawk and Animal, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Their names? Yes. Tag team. A uh, lot of... Uh, basically, straight out of Mad Max, uh, slightly more festive version. Um very literally straight out of Mad Max. Um, yeah. There's a yeah. long tradition of ripping off Mad Max in professional wrestling. <laughs> well, we, we'll come to that. We'll come to it. Uh, my particular favourite from the game was... a. Uh... This time, he shows them a photograph of the Big Boss Man. The Big Boss Man looks like shit. The only oh. big, big Boss Man. Uh, he's big. And uh, he's this lovely shot here of his... Uh, ample got hanging out of the t-shirt, which, yes. <laughs> which I was like quite um, taken by this photo. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he is big, he is male, and I worked for him for five years. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you can't fault him. And Adam Blaze and Sanders got nothing on this guy. <laughs> He's untouchable. <laughs> and also, of course, the final picture in this set is of Macho Man Randy Savage. In a second or two, he's going to show them pictures of Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar. Uh, a classic. Oh, yeah. The Macho Man of the Randy Savage variety. So um, so these are the ones I recognize. I was showing myself these guys. So these are the ones he's more into now. This would mm-hmm. be uh, Seth, Seth Rollins, or is that Logan that is, Paul? That is Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, right. Um, yeah, this is uh, the modern-day... Uh, uh, a star Roman Reigns, I believe. That is Roman Reigns. And this guy is uh Viking like um uh help me out true. I do remember his that, name. That is Brock Lesnar. Thank you, Brock thank Lesnar. you. Potentially the most frightening man on the planet. <laughs> yes. like, like if you walked into a club, like, I'm just gonna leave. Like, oh, yeah. Even who sits there having a drink quietly in the corner. I don't I don't want to be around someone who's capable of uh no. you know, widespread he, destruction. Uh, he has this propensity for um making very high-pitched animalistic growls and if it wasn't coming from that face it would be the funniest thing <laughs> in the does, world does that, does that not make it a sort of uh, even more amusing juxtaposition though oh no 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 you need <laughs> okay. to, you, you you watch it and it be, it becomes a horrific banshee call of <laughs> just oh yeah this whole thing, like, yeah, the cry of the banshee means you're going to die, yeah, because he's after yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, why. yeah. Because he's going to kill you himself, which is, like, yeah, far more uh, direct. And finally, uh, more of a oh, more mainstream one. Mm-hmm. I believe that is Mr. John Cena. That is one Jonathan Cena. Yes. So the point I was trying to make with Simon was that if you look at the characters from our days, the wrestling characters, we've got big elaborate costumes, um, you know, the huge, like, the Mad Max-looking ones, the big boss man dressed as a cop, Macho Man Randy Savage. We discussed, we don't even know what he's meant to be. He's just, <laughs> he's just like a like a caricature of something which doesn't exist in this dimension. But but he does, so now <laughs> it does. I'll tell you exactly what Macho Man okay, Randy Savage good, good. is in, yeah. in, in, in well, my... Uh... <laughs> I'm building to that. But um, but also, I, I, I mentioned Doink the Clown. He was the only one I particularly remembered from my day. An actual clown who was a wrestler. Uh, whereas today we have um, all these sort of far more uh, formidable-looking fellows with their massive oil six-packs and huge biceps, and especially just buff guys in shorts. And I was confused because, from what I know about uh, you know Vince McMahon, head of WWE 
he, I know he still is, but he has been until recently. Subtlety isn't something he really had any concern about or any issue with. And I'd have thought, given you know his uh, his tendencies, wrestlers have become more and more elaborate and over the top and you know, cartoony over time. They haven't. They've gone to this sort of more more like more like typical athletes now. And me and Simon had a good discussion about this and went to, to guess why that would be. And I sort of try to think maybe it's the social media generation. Now, they've got to do their own content now. They've got to you know, sort of be look good and be sort of kind of serious. And it's hard to do that when you're a clown. Um, so maybe it's a bit with that. Whereas Simon suggested it might be The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson sort of set the set the tone for being like that and people are trying to make it. So yeah, we, then we said, but we don't know enough about this, but we are curious. So we should ask someone who does know and we throw around, and I'm, I'm thinking, I think Drew likes wrestling, doesn't he? And I remember messaging Drew with this sort of question. And the response I got, now, do you remember Warner Brothers cartoons? You know, and Daffy Duck would stick his head in like a rabbit hole, which had a bomb in it, and he pulled it out, and it, <laughs> sort of, his face is a black blur, and his beak's on backwards. <laughs> That's sort of what happened to me when I asked Drew. So can you explain this? <laughs> got this um, rather. I, <laughs> I kind of envisioned it as being kind of cartoony, but more like the kind of cartoon where you'd start someone talking about something, and then like your, your Daffy Duck or Bugs Bunny would go make a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I went off on one is, I think, the, the fairest way of explaining that. Yes, and I was <laughs> so impressed with it. I thought, let's get Drew on so he can explain this to me because I quite frankly frank, thought it was brilliant. So, Drew, please, you provided some great insight as to why wrestlers went from cartoony caricatures over the top type things to this more uh, serious, relatable type character. Uh Please, enlighten us and the listener. Well, you're both right. Good night, hey. everyone. Hey, um, 10%. 10%. <laughs> 10%. Okay, so um, I would say my own short version of this would be... Not the British um, or the French, is it? The... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but writers is basically the, um, the very short answer. Um, to give a kind of a bit of a longer answer going to need to go into a tiny bit of wrestling history and specifically um the history of characters in in wrestling mm-hmm. when i say wrestling as well we are literally just talking about what is now wwe rather than going to lucha libre in mexico or <laughs> right, okay. strong t- style wrestling in japan or um the, the european Cat Greco, wrestling and, th- and things like Greco-Roman, that. Greco-Roman, yeah, right. Greco-Roman, okay. which is actually French, and was um, it's them called... it is them. It is them. It, yeah, it is them. <laughs> um, it was it was called Greco-Roman to kind of give the impression of it having this long lineage going back to oh, okay. um, Olympic wrestling. Um, because one thing I'm going to learn, I hope, is that wrestling from its very beginning has been full of hucksters, fraud, and <laughs> con right. man. Um, right. <laughs> um, so, kind of wrestling in America had its really big start as a side att- attraction in carnivals and hmm. barnstorming sessions and things like that. Um, so you get the strong man who would also be a wrestler. And the whole idea was that you would... Um, stage a match of about 15 minutes or so where the strong man would get beaten by someone who's actually a plant and the whole thing is that they were their own carnival barker where they'd be like you know who which one of you gentlemen can beat me 15 minutes all that kind of stuff um this is also the first example of wrestling being fake yeah it's fine use that word go ahead if you want it's fine it's about as fake as your favorite film is and it's been revealed as fake um, in interviews with promoters going back to about the 1930s or so, every mm. there's a lot of ups and downs, booms and busts, busts in wrestling, and in every boom there is the big expose of you know it's fake, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah. <laughs> when was the yeah. last time you saw a man in a pub get German suplex? <laughs> um, um, so Bad question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the so the fix in this fight. Like, came where the strongman actually looked like he was about to be beaten um and the whole idea was to kind of push the um the uh, local competitor up against a curtain where probably the same plant from early, earlier would just waffle them with a wrench 
Or something <laughs> similar. <laughs> um, and then, so he wasn't even the strong man himself. Because he's he's putting up the whole, you know, that, oh shit, I'm actually being beaten you. Um, I'm gonna need to <laughs> to kind of pull this back a little bit. So <laughs> Better get, get my hidden meat because <laughs> GBH on the <laughs> It was the old days. You could do that then. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's a joke in here about um, that being the first example of the rock because that's what they uh, hit the guy with. But you know, <laughs> I'm try and rise above that a bit. Um, oh, you so, failed, by the way. <laughs> oh, um, so basically, from, from the beginning, like matches were worked is the term. There's a lot of carnival terms in wrestling. So mm. fans are called marks for the most part, as in the mark where you, you, know, you get your money. Mm. Um, the the suspended reality in which wrestling exists is called kayfabe, which is thought is oh, a, a, yeah. a... It's like a carnival term for fake, basically. But if we imagine it as just being... The, the universe in which professional wrestling takes place, where you can say, um, as a child, burn down the funeral home where your parents and young brother lived, that young brother turned out to have been alive the whole time, living in a, um, uh, uh, living in a mental asylum until he... Um, barges into the cage where you're fighting your sworn enemy in a really important match and the best way to resolve that is then within a wrestling ring adjudicated by a referee yes. um, it took me more it'd be more trauma to unpack in an actual scenario wouldn't it? absolutely yeah. gonna get a lawyer involved at least <laughs> get a lawyer some therapy would need to be involved there yeah in fairness, um, though, in America, you do go straightly from a burnt-down house to the mental hospital, whatever happens. To. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like those those Americans are, you know, they're so litigious. They'll sue over anything. <laughs> but like a, a big thing about wrestlers um, back in the very early days of it is that they had to be legitimate fighters as well as being big characters because there was always the chance that the guy you were fighting didn't want to play ball. So mm. you needed to be what what was called a hooker, um, a, a hook being like a, a hold that you put someone in that isn't going to do any lasting damage but really, really hurts. <laughs> um, the way that it kind of worked in the first big boom of wrestling is that um, – the bigger stars would make a name for themselves and then they would travel around different promotions. And mm. in the different promotions, they they tended to have a character that they'd built up, That, but it was always quite a simple character. So it would be like the evil foreigner. I mean, pick your, pick your flavor of foreign. <laughs> make him evil. Um, you'd have strange kind of... Um, scenarios where you'd get someone who say they were like really playing up a French Canadian heritage so they could kind of nip back and forth along the border with Canada portraying a villain one night and a hero the next (laughs) just because that's the way that um that it went and that was kind of how wrestling worked until um three particular wrestlers turned promoters um called Tutamont um, Ed Strangler Lewis and Billy <laughs> and Billy Sandow. Um, what, was, what was Ed Strangler Lewis's thing? <laughs> what, was, <laughs> what was he known for? He, he would get you on the ground, and give you a kiss. Um, <laughs> they, they were collectively known as the Gold Dust Trio, and yeah, that probably is where Gold Dust got his name from because no one is as big a wrestling nerd as wrestlers, oh, and okay. they will always have these little um, narratives, kind of you know, these little in jokes kind of weaved in, mm. mainly for their own amusement, because only real nerds know this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but the they kind of created a lot of what we now understand as a wrestling promotion. So they created tag team wrestling, for example. Um, they came up with having more elaborate parts of matches as a storytelling technique. So it was under their promotion that like distracting the referee, for example, just l- things like this that we understand as being part of the language of professional wrestling mm. were kind of brought in by 
these particular creators. But the biggest thing they did was they locked down wrestlers to contracts so that the wrestlers were in one company rather than touring around as much. So that allowed for more like developed characters having longer stories because you would have a story that could then shape a character rather than wrestler comes in, they are evil foreign heel, they're there heel being a bad guy in professional wrestling sorry um, they would be there for a week or so where they'd beat local hero one, local hero two and then be beaten by the big local hero mm-hmm. and that was kind of the only story that could be told yeah Hmm. Um, so like I said there's big booms and busts in wrestling and would you believe that World War 2 but kind of a cramp on wrestling <laughs> style for some reason I can, I can sort of see that yeah like a lot of uh, a lot of these big brawny men <laughs> there, yeah there, there was um, a work... sure they could be used better elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a staffing shortage let's just put it that way <laughs> so the next big boom came with TV because hmm. Wrestling is a very, very cheap show to put on TV. They're oh, doing yeah. it anyway. Yeah. They're doing it anyway. You kind of just need to show up and to put a camera at it. <laughs> I've never thought of it. We're going to do this regardless. You might as well film it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But not not only that, it's not like something. It's like with a quote unquote legitimate sport, hmm. you can't guarantee that boxing match is going to go five rounds. But you can probably guarantee that a wrestling match is going to go the distance that you've promised to deliver because it's scripted like a TV show. That explains so much. I was asked, like, how come it keeps, like, if it's, no, recognized as being not real, then how, because that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because, yeah, because it's it's cheap TV and you know it's going to last. So. Yeah, it's perfect as a vehicle for that. So that's. And it was one of the, it was one of the first things that, like, show television as being a viable entertainment medium mm. because so many people watched it and like the big booms would have come in the in the 80s and the uh, late 90s but this is what there were millions of people watching wrestling and it was one of the first things there were millions of people watching mm. and one of the big reasons for that was a single heel wrestler called Gorgeous George Wagner I so him, Gorgeous George yeah you probably have because he is kind of he is the he wasn't the first to do it but he was the definitely the biggest to do it and he had what would now probably well what now would be a very iffy character with some quite stark homophobic <laughs> over um uh, turns but but that's what worked in the day so he um he would do things like he uh, came to the ring in the he was one of the first to have the big robe that oh, yeah. you would have seen on the likes of Ric Flair. Um, he would have his valet spray Chanel number five over the ring and he refused <laughs> to wrestle without it. Um, he, he had um, like really kind of baby curl, blonde, bleached hair that he would did up with hairpins and he would give these golden hairpins out to the crowd as he came Ooh, down. Amazing. Like a proper granny trying to st- stab them with a hat pin <laughs> and a wrestler. Um, and he, he died quite young um, from alcoholism, but he was, it, it's really difficult to kind of explain just how massive he was for the time. Um, and how big his influence was. Uh, so Muhammad Ali has gone on record as saying, I met Gorgeous George when I was 19, and I stole a lot of the, the bluster from him. <laughs> and you can see it in people like um, Elton John and uh, Little Richard and James Brown, people who would have grown up watching wrestling around that time, mm. would have seen Gorgeous George on TV because he was that massive. Oh. Um, so, so basically with George, there was this big move towards big characters for TV, because if you've got someone flicking through the channels and they come across a gorgeous George or a Hulk Hogan, as they would later, you need them to go, what the hell is this? I'm going to keep watching this for a little bit. And because <laughs> it's that thing of 
because they're only viewing that quick snap, that quick snatch, they need to immediately know what it is, or at least be curious about it. Um, there were some wrestling promotions that really kicked back against this. I probably would have been one of these fans back in the day, to be honest. But there was one company in particular, which was imaginatively called the New York Wrestling Office, um, that really went over the top with the, the character side of things. And the New York Wrestling Office would become WWE. Right. That is the the kind of home company of it. And they had, there was a kind of a pivot towards the fact that if you had a good enough character, you didn't really need to be a fighter anymore mm. because you had just this one particular stable of wrestlers that you'd be fighting all the time. It's not in everyone's interest to screw each other over. Not that it wouldn't happen over the years, but yeah, it just wasn't in anyone's interest. Um, so first kind of homegrown talent from WWE was a guy called Antonino Rocca. Um, and he was the first one who had that big personality with very, very little ability. Coincidentally, that was Donald Trump's favorite wrestler growing up. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, and Do- Donald Trump has got a, a weird history with wrestling to the point where I kind of think that he might not have gotten as far as he did without wrestling. Because it, <laughs> I can totally see that, yeah. Yeah, be- because he's been... Uh, two WrestleManias have been held in Trump properties in Trump plazas and he is a close personal friend of Vince McMahon to the point that he's been used in two quite long running stories Um, (laughs) Wrestlemania 23 which is one of the biggest Wrestlemanias um, in terms of money in terms of the money it drew um, one of its main events was Donald Trump managing a wrestler um, a gentleman by the name of Bobby Lashley um, who I think he called Leslie at one point. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah. going to fast forward, again, speaking of big personality with very little ability. So, Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> so, this is where kind of the, it's the idea of, te- of wrestling as a character show has just not devolved, but it's, a, it's evolved into just being a straight up cartoon yeah that's when it was all yeah yeah and that's when it was all character and nothing else pretty much so going from the late um 80s into the 90s which kind of as wrestling is on the decline again after hulkamania um that's when we're starting to look at guys like roddy roddy piper dunk the clown um big boss man and um dunk the clown who by the way i will have Nothing bad said against because Matt Bourne, who played Dunk the Clown, absolutely ate the role alive. You, <laughs> I really did. I remember that quite vividly. <laughs> you say the words evil wrestling clown and your immediate thought is, stupid. You see, all you've got to do is see him walk to the ring and you go, okay, yeah, that's actu- actually quite scary for a kid. <laughs> yeah. It really um, was. I remember being quite traumatized by Dunk the Clown. Yeah. He's actually um, an aggressive fighting clown. Yeah, is, yeah exactly. It's like all your phobias combined. Like, you're a fat, and, nerdy kid. And it wasn't just that thing of like, oh, yeah, he's the evil wrestling clown. It's like, oh, he's really enjoying hurting this man. <laughs> <laughs> is he doing this? It's, it's um, the my theory. Every famous clown is actually a psychopath. <laughs> the most benign famous clown is Krusty, with like criminal negligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> he's at least he's at least horrible, if not an outward yeah. monster. Otherwise, you got Pennywise on the Joker. It was like was yeah, Pennywise the Joker. I, I mean, Doink, I out. Don, <laughs> John Wayne Gacy. I guess you count as a famous clown. Exactly. Yeah. There's, no, there's no good ones. <laughs> All the famous ones are awful. And <laughs> yeah. um, this, this is a time of like you know, Macho Man as well, who is a straight up gorgeous George ripoff. Is it? Right, oh, is okay, it? that makes right more sense. Down to the fact that they use the same entrance music. Pomp and oh, Circumstance by Elgar. <laughs> Gorgeous George was the first man to use entrance music. Um, at least documented the first man to use entrance music. And yeah, yeah the, the robe, the tassels, that kind of that manic energy. Hmm. Yeah, it, Macho Man was just a Gorgeous George ripoff. And there's been a long 
uninterrupted line of gorgeous George ripoffs. Um, <laughs> there's probably one wrestling in Merthyr right now. <laughs> um, For a given value of gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Passable Paul. <laughs> right, and that's my wrestling persona. When I get around to it, as I've been meaning to for the past 30 years. Cool. Ten um, times if you're desperate, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so in this era, you didn't need to have any fighting ability to be a wrestler at all, really. Not that there weren't wrestlers out there who could beat the crap out of just about anyone. Doug the Clown, Matt Bourne comes to mind, a very, very accomplished amateur wrestler. Um, but they just didn't need to be because it was a cartoon. And mm. also, it's probably a lot safer to be the evil wrestling clown who's beating you down with his fake arm than it is to actually wrestle every night. <laughs> Yeah, um, just wear and tear, isn't it? That's going to make well, some yeah, make, make more general sense. wear and tear. Um, wrestling's got a real problem, or it had a massive problem with quite early death. Yeah, and I, I found a website once, like your favorite childhood wrestlers who have died, and it was like a massive list of God, they're, they're all gone. Like Christ, yeah, this is uh, actually uh, the most dangerous sport. <laughs> Not a yeah, and a, and a lot of it can just be attributed to the fact that just like falling over onto your back thirty times a night. It's almost 300 days out of the year. Like, that's gonna, yeah, that's, that's gonna mess you up. Hulk Hogan's leg drop was the, was his finisher. Um, I read somewhere you got a, the first three words out of Hulk Hogan's mouth are always going to be a lie, but he said that he's like six inches shorter than he used to be. <laughs> Just from, he dropped on his ass every night for, for most of his life. He shits out of his armpit. <laughs> Oh, the nasty boys. Um, <laughs> I remember them. <laughs> so, um, oh, sorry, just to swing back around to something I promised earlier, wrestling's long tradition of ripping off um, Mad Max. Yeah. Um, so you had the Legion of Doom. They were originally, when they, they started out, called the Road Warriors. Oh, um, okay, fine. They are, they're dressed like... They they are dressed. Yeah. They're straight-up dressed like Lord Humongous from Mad Max yeah. 2. Yeah. Um, um, let's see how many Lord Humonguses have there been? I think it's three. <laughs> um, like most of them played by pretty prominent wrestlers. Um, hmm. and um, there's been at least two Ayatollahs of rock and roller. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much Mad Max as it is just Mad Max 2. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, when there's when, sorry, gone when there's a new Lord Humongous, they have to have. Do they actually have to have a coronation or something like the king, you know? So they have to line up and so put him on the throne. And it's like a knighthood. It's like a, you know, you can have a, a life Lord Humongous, or you can be appointed to Lord Humongous by the last Lord Humongous. <laughs> appointed to Lord Humongous. <laughs> and say, and, and all of these are trying to scrutinise legislation. <laughs> House of Lords Humongous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, governance by Thunderdome would work for me. <laughs> I mean, it's clear that what we've been trying for the past 400 years or so just isn't working. <laughs> yeah. Bring out Master Blaster. <laughs> Can I have a footlong governance by Thunderdome, please? <laughs> anyway. So, wrestling as a cartoon, um, it really it, it worked pretty much until it didn't. Mm. Um, so, when we entered the 90s where... Um, you'd replace an X, uh, sorry, replace a C with an X in any word you could, and everything was extreme. Yes. Um, so tastes were changing, and wrestling had to evolve with that. Um, WWF at the time's biggest competitor, WCW, um, oh, did it. Yeah. So they kind of changed with the times by hiring all of the heroes of the 80s and just turning them into dickheads. <laughs> I saw WCW once in my grand's house while waiting for Sunday lunch, and the only thing I remember there was a character called Two Cold Scorpio on it, and I thought, "Oh yeah, that's, that's a stupid name," and that's that's all I know about WCW. Alleg- allegedly, the largest penis in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Forget what I said about Governor's Thunderdome. <laughs> There's your title. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> just announced that in a massive stadium. <laughs> is, that, um, is that how he was introduced? <laughs> Allegedly, the largest, largest penis, penis in wrestling. In wrestling. <laughs> Two foot, Scott. I mean, two. <laughs> Far too long, Scorpio. <laughs> that looks painful, Scorpio. Unworkable, Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> no one is enjoying this, Scorpio. Unworkable, Scorpio. <laughs> I think that's better than gorgeous, George. <laughs> 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 um, so what WWF did um, was they hired writers rather than just old wrestlers and promoters hmm. so Vince McMahon's strategy um, and apart from Wrestlemania it is probably the smartest thing he's ever done because <laughs> at this time it allowed him to completely monopolize wrestling for about 15 years um, what he, what the wrestlers, uh, sorry, what the writers were brought on board to do was treat wrestling more like an action drama show. Right. Okay. So remember how I said kayfabe is the extended universe of your wrestling. Hmm. So it wasn't just a case of you have two men who are fighting. You have two men who are fighting, but their fight is also going to spill over into this fight between these two groups because. One is friends with the other, and it kind of developed a lot more of a sense of continuity. And yeah, it just became a TV show. It allowed things like the Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin feud, which emerged out of the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin was originally brought in as a um, guy managed by um, Ted DiBiase um, called the Ringmaster. But then it was noticed just how tough and Texan and beer-liking he was. So they decided to just, as the head writer at the time, a guy called Vince Russo, who I won't go into, but the often attributed quote to him is that I just made it so that people were themselves with the volume turned up. Right. Mm. So to look at Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was probably brought in more money to wrestling than anyone ever. He's a bald guy in black pants. He's probably snarling in the picture. He might be (laughs) flipping you off. Just at at a glance, that is not as big as clown. Yeah, Mm. yeah. But he had this rich character that was able to be developed by the stories he's in. And just this, yeah, this line of of continuing continuity that just, seeps through the entirety of their career and can be called mm. back upon. Um, it's like a soap opera. Like. It's exactly like a soap opera. It's a it's a soap opera with a lot more people in pants and a lot more punching. <laughs> yeah. Probably <laughs> more Even ladders. more than EastEnders. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's Brookside. <laughs> <laughs> Less than El Dorado, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the only reason anyone watched that. Um it isn't to say that back in at the same time Stone Cold Steve Austin was going on, um, there are three wrestling vampires in the company at the same time. <laughs> really? Um, there was both a, a, a porn star and a pimp who were <laughs> wrestling at the time. Um, so... Go back to the three wrestling vampires. <laughs> you've, you've, you've got to elaborate on that. The, the brood. Um, <laughs> oh, right. so, wait, okay. wait, I, um, they were a gang. They were it, just it, it was a gang of three. Oh, oh, yeah, they, oh okay. I sorry, thought there I, was, I was three separate wrestlers whose backstory was they were a vampire. Yeah, I thought it was a wild coincidence as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, the themes kind of repeat. Yeah. But not a gang of three wrestling vampires. <laughs> Gorgeous Vlad. Um, but uh, yeah this was like at a time period where the the undertaker um was running a cult called the ministry of darkness who wanted to who had (laughs) satanic firepowers and a massive gang but all they wanted to do was take over a wrestling company (laughs) 
if you, <laughs> think kayfabe, about it for, kayfabe is allowed. <laughs> yeah, kayfabe is allowed. If you take, you kind of look at it from any angle other than uh, it's wrestling, man. You, you, then it just falls apart. Yeah, and this is pretty much how wrestling has kind of gone on from here. It's that the wrestlers are able to kind of feed into their own characters, but they have a story that's shaped by writers. So it's kind of like this weird, long-running freeform improv of wrestlers and writers yes-anding each other. So it becomes a compliment of, well, the storyline needs this, but we need to do this in the ring. So the the ring within a wrestling ring itself is kind of this little story playing out that you should be able to I think the whole point is you should be able to understand it goes back to that gorgeous George thing of you should be able to look in a wrestling ring at about three seconds and immediately be able to go, oh, okay, so that guy is you know, a bit, bit of a dickhead and the other one is you know, reasonable. Mm. That's the, basically the kind of the bedrock story of of wrestling. Yeah. Mm. So that whole thing of how stories can shape a character over years. Um, I think it's best if I bring up an example for this. Um, so, have you guys? Do you guys remember a guy called Rikishi? Oh yes, by he used to sit on people, didn't he? He did, yes. yes. But uh, part of a long tradition of sitting on people, though. <laughs> um, so it goes um, back generations in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Cut that. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> So, to see someone tapping out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been able to hear it. I'm glad the mic hasn't picked it up, actually. Um, so, Solova Anoa'i Jr. is Rikishi's real name. And I don't know if the name Anoa'i is ringing any bells at all. Uh, faintly, Anoa'i. So, the Anoa'i family are a Samoan, uh, an American Samoan family of pretty much all wrestlers. Definitely heard of some of them. The Rock is an Anoa'i. No way. Oh. Y- Yokozuna was not really Japanese. Oh my god, um, really? Yeah, that's blown my mind. I remember him being quite a prominent thing. Like he was, he looked almost the size of a sumo wrestler. So why, why would yeah. you question that? It, exactly. And he had an evil Japanese manager in Mister Fuji. So yeah. yeah, of course he's Japanese. A Samoan. Uh, his name's, <laughs> name was Rodney. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't think I've heard it so far. That's been the most mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> his name was Rodney. Yeah, yeah man. Um, oh my god. Roman Reigns is uh, The Rock's cousin. Um, no way. And an Anoa'i as well. Um, but I'm going to talk about Rikishi in particular because he's kind of straddled three eras of wrestling. So when he first started in the 80s, he was in a tag team with another member of his family um, called the Head Shrinkers. Can you guess, if I just say the word Head Shrinkers, can you guess what they might have looked like? Uh, voodoo so, vibe to them, perhaps? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they had the, the classic um, wild man, the, the uncontrollable wild man gimmick. Yeah. Um, their manager, Affa, would um, drag them to the ring by their hair, um, um, <laughs> in what's become a Samoan wrestling trope, um, if you hit them in the head, then it just hurts what you hit them with. They don't take any damage to the head. Um, <laughs> what a lovely example for the children. <laughs> <laughs> they do say don't try this at home. Yeah, um, okay then. And, uh, yeah, 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 it's, fine. it's like it's saying allegedly before you call someone a nonce. <laughs> <laughs> we advise you not to try this at home. <laughs> I just like this a Samoan thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I didn't think it, a, I consider that yeah, angle. It's a Samoan thing. I don't know where it originated from. It's just one of those things where it goes, oh, that's a good idea. And it's just kind of, it's only been, it has genuinely only been in the past five years or so that that has tapered off and it isn't really a thing that's observed that Samoans <laughs> have, have got a buff on their heads. 
observe like Palm Sunday or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what, oh, what date is it? Oh my God, it's the third Sunday in November. We need to observe the Samoan hard head rule. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and around this time, if we skip forward a few years or so, the um, Rikishi also portrayed a character called the Sultan. Can you guess what he might have looked like? An Arab. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Yeah. So you can play. <laughs> you can play any ethnicity, really. Yeah. Like, Samoan. Yeah. Um, Ho- if- Hollywood's done that plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, it, I'm going to ask you what may be a weird question, but I bet you'll be able to answer it. If I was going to ask you, what do you think the shape of his of the toes on his boots were? What do you think the the shape might have oh. been for a character called the Sultan? Uh, I guess there was a lot of curly vibes. Wasn't it? it was a really curly uh, vibe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is oh. a callback to the genuinely Iranian Iron Sheik. Right. Um, uh, yeah. A personal favorite of mine, if only for his his Twitter. God rest him. Um, <laughs> So, if we skip forward a few more years into the um, what's called the Attitude Era, so the era of Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, he then became a kind of a, a, a really massive fan favorite, actually, who um, dressed like Yokozuna, um, but he danced. His whole thing was he, he was kind of unhinged until this tag team called Too Cool, one of whom was Jerry the King Lawler's son. Um, okay. <laughs> they take out these yellow sunglasses, put them on Rikishi, and then he just like look around the arena, and then they do a nice choreographed dance. And I can I honestly think I can fairly say they're about as big as the Rock at one point. Okay, I would say um, that was, of course, until. Um, Rikishi revealed that he'd run over Stone Cold Steve Austin in a car um, <laughs> became a gangster to help his cousin, The Rock. Right. So it was at this point where things started to be acknowledged. Um, <laughs> if we move on to now, and Rikishi, he's an old man and he's kind of taken a step back. But you've got Roman Reigns at the moment um, embroiled in a three-year storyline. Um that I think can collectively be called the bloodline story, um, which is possibly some of the best actual storytelling that wrestling has ever done. Right. Um, But because it involves three of Rikishi's sons and his nephew, he has kind of taken this role on now as being a a tribal elder. (laughs) So gone. So you don't have like the hard head, but you've definitely got, a lay that is treated as reverently as any wrestling belt ever has been. And that then feeds into another story that's 10 years in the making of Roman Reigns becoming this paranoid kind of overlord of his family that he is because he's basically been kind of, um, he's always been betrayed. He's the guy who's always, People right. always turn on him, even fans. So it's <laughs> there's always this thing with with wrestling, and like John Cena is probably the biggest biggest example of it. That idea of who the company wants to be their champion or the, to be their main attraction versus who the fans want to be the main attraction, mm. and. Yeah, Roman Reigns, is, I think, is the best one to have kind of capitalized on that and really kind of brought that aspect into his current character of just being this paranoid maniac. <laughs> um, so yeah, just to um to sum up, uh, yeah, it's, it's writers. Um, <laughs> um, but even in WWE, I guess that the thing is that you can look at someone. In the same way as you can kind of look at Tyrion Lannister, Daenerys Targaryen, just to kind of bring... Oh, Game of Thrones is a terrible example because it ended really badly. Yeah. Um, so, well, in whatever your favourite TV show is, let's take Breaking Bad or something, for example. You, you can look at a picture of Walter White and kind of not really get the complexity of the of the mm. character. Yeah. Um, just like any other 
TV show, really. But if you really want it in WWE, uh, there's a couple of wrestling Vikings, if that is really <laughs> what you want. <laughs> okay. well, like, well, ultimately, to answer Dean's question then, the the characters to look at them aren't as wacky, mm-hmm. but the storylines and everything that goes along with it is so dense and involved that they don't need to have that gimmick in a way. Would you say that? Yeah, I think I think so. Um yeah, but they can't they can also have that gimmick if they want. It's like I was saying earlier that it's it's theatre. Yeah. So it can kind of go from a broad farce where you've got um the Vikings, as an example, are currently fighting a fake university. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is is one of two fake universities currently active in WWE as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you're going to have Vikings fighting a fake university and it, very, very silly. And you've got those kind of high peaks of comedy. But at the same time, you've got like the story of, say, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, which is this kind of really touching story of like 20 years of friendship where they've <laughs> broken up and gotten back together and as they kind of fought together on various indie promotions and there's this whole legacy of again a storyline that just kind of you notice it and go oh yeah i can bring that into what we're doing now actually and that can inform the character that they are yeah so yeah it's a it's a broad church but it's definitely advanced beyond Vince McMahon just, again, chucking subtlety out the door and saying, um, you are a wrestling clown. <laughs> <laughs> or saying, you are a, a Western Undertaker zombie. You know? <laughs> As an example. Um, so, yeah. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I still think it's social media. <laughs> social. And, yeah. I, I mean, that... that that does play a big part in it because I, I, they are kind of immersed in their character at all times, not yeah, to the point no. that not to the point that it was in like the eighties. Um, there was a fella by the name of Ivan Koloff, who was I I, th- I believe he was actually Canadian. You did not see him without that Russian accent. <laughs> wow. Like the prestige, isn't it? it just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so it, it, yeah, it's obviously not as ex- that extreme these days, but they are still constantly in the public eye. Um, mm. Like they don't have, unless you are the very tip top of the of the um, of the tree, you're still catching planes everywhere, or you're still driving from place to place with just mm. a, a car full of you. Um, which is very much what it was like back back in the, the very, very early days. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a lot easier to keep that kind of lifestyle if when you kind of go out to the arena for television and then the next night you're in front of, like, 5,000 people in an arena to go on to another TV show the next night. Yeah, I think it's a, a lot easier to kind of pull it back if you're not as far removed from yourself as you would be if you were a clown. Yes. Yeah. So let's to draw the episode special episode to a close. Then, uh, Drew, if you would agree with me that Dean was wrong in whatever, <laughs> then I think that would be a nice nice end of the episode. Then, would you agree with that? Dean was wrong. Um, I, uh, in anything, it doesn't have to be this. Just say Dean is wrong, and then oh, if we're going on down the Dean is wrong train. Um... <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, yeah. yeah, Simon, you you were closer to to right, definitely. Hey, see you next week, listeners. Sorry, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> no, not sorry. 